Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, my loves. Welcome back to another episode of Flush. I'm your host, Hiva, and I'm coming at you live from Sydney, Australia. If you listened to last episode, then you know that I'm finally in Sydney. I've been wanting to come since December, really, but the borders weren't open. And now that they are, I'm finally here. Sydney has been so lovely. I've gotten to meet Ozzy's family and a bunch of his friends, and it's been just an overall great time. Although I have had a lot of laughs about kind of living with a boy. And I mean, we spent a lot of time together when we were both in New York, but now we're actually staying at the same place. And I have to say, boys are just barely competent as human beings. Like, it amazes me that the streets aren't just lined with dead single straight men because they don't really know how to do anything. When I first landed, I went to take a shower and I asked Ozzy for some soap, shower gel, whatever, really not high maintenance. I really would have taken anything. He handed me a bottle of body lotion and then failed to see that that is not the appropriate thing to wash your body with. So I was talking about it with a friend and we're just having a laugh about this and kind of sharing stories of things that our partners do that are like so silly. And so I put a question box in my Instagram stories to see what stories you guys had. And I'm going to share some of the funny ones. One person said that her partner wakes her up every time he takes the dog out. Even if she's asleep, she's not coming, he'll still wake her up and be like, hey, I'm taking the dog out. A lot of people said leaves cabinet doors open. This just seems to be something that men do. I don't know if the gene for shutting cabinet doors is on the other part of the X chromosome, so men just don't know how to do it, but I've noticed it with all men. I really like this one. Falls asleep at concerts because he gets too excited leading up to them. That's honestly adorable. Can't find anything by himself around the house. Uses scented hand lotion as face moisturizer. I see you when I raise you. Uses body lotion as soap. He flaps his towel between his legs after showering to make sure his innards are dry. I don't, I can't even picture this, but it's honestly really funny. And what I wouldn't give for a video of this. Leaves everything out on the kitchen counter. Yep. Also, I kind of do that so I can't judge too much. Leaves the bags to the dog treats open. Yeah, doesn't shock me. Ooh, this is a really good one. He has a rhythm and countdown to apply deodorant that's at least 60 seconds. (laughs) 
<laughs> like, I just cannot picture this. I have no idea what's going on. It sounds hilarious. I really hope he's using some kind of natural deodorant. Otherwise, that could be a lot of, um, what is it, like antiperspirant that's kind of terrible for you. So yeah, I hope he's being safe with that. Uh, just a wreck, not getting paid for this. I really love native deodorant. Just throwing it out there. Leaves nail clippings around. Now, this is disgusting, but what I find more interesting about this is that a straight man submitted this. So his girlfriend or ex-girlfriend leaves her nail clippings around. That's disgusting. I don't even know what to say. Um, okay, and this might be my favorite one. Closes every shade in the house to avoid people peeping in from the backyard. <laughs> oh, that's just so cute. Also, you know, about 30 people responded that they don't have a partner. So I get it. If you're single and you're listening to these and you're like, oh, what I wouldn't give to have someone to complain about. Yeah, I see you. But enjoy the place that you're at because you're in control of your own life. You don't have to live with someone who's creating a mess and annoying you all the time. And that's wonderful, too. All jokes aside, though, being with Ozzy is actually really, really lovely. And he's really not that annoying. I just think it's more funny to make fun of him than to constantly be like, oh my god, everything's so great. Everything's so amazing. But I will say I'm super, super grateful for how everything has been. And it always just reminds me of how important this podcast is to me because I don't know that we'd be together without the podcast. Like if it weren't for the podcast, I wouldn't have started going on dates. I wouldn't have gone out on a date with him. And if it wasn't for all the growth that I had from the podcast itself, I don't know that I'd be capable of being in a relationship. So it really is thanks to you guys. And I am super, super grateful for that. Another thing that's happened a few nights ago, I had a dream that I interviewed someone for the podcast. And then during the interview, I found out that he wanted to murder me. He was a serial killer and just was really fixated by my straight hair for whatever reason. I have no idea, which is funny because I haven't straightened it once since I've been here, but that's neither here nor there. He was just fixated with murdering me. And what I really remember about the dream wasn't so much that he wanted to murder me. I mean, obviously, I remember that. But what was really notable about it was that I wasn't upset that he wanted to murder me. It's like I didn't really care I mean, I obviously wanted to stay alive and was trying to do everything I could to safeguard myself. But the big thing for me was that I felt so sorry for him because he obviously had serious mental health issues that prompted him to be that way. Now, the next day I wake up and during that day, someone that I used to be close friends with who I'm not close with anymore cyber bullied me again. She has a habit of using a fake Instagram account to write like kind of nasty comments on usually on the blush account, not so much towards my personal account, although she hit both this time. And it really reminded me of the dream and how in the dream I was so compassionate towards the person that wanted to murder me. And it really helped me channel that compassion towards her and just see that she really is just a hurt and troubled person and to really not internalize it. And I guess I'm sharing this because we 
we all have conflicts all the time. And it's so easy, especially if someone's doing something that's objectively wrong, like cyberbullying is objectively wrong. Picking on the things that she knows that I'm most insecure about and really just driving a knife through it, that's objectively wrong. It could be so easy for me to sit here and drag her, but instead, I really am trying to have as much compassion as possible. And I mean, does it sting? Yes, of course. Does it hurt when someone you used to be close with just has so much venom and hatred towards you? Of course. Does it hurt when people pick the things that you're the most insecure about to make you feel like shit? Of course. But at the same time, you can acknowledge that when someone's doing shitty things to you, they must be going through a lot of pain. Because at the very least, they're sitting around and kind of obsessing over you. Like their thoughts are consumed with you. So I don't know, if you're kind of going through something similar, if you have conflict with someone, if someone's being mean to you, someone's hurting your feelings in some way, I'm not saying to just forgive them at all not even a little bit, what I am saying is to remember that they're coming from such a bad place and just be grateful that you're not in that place. Does that make sense? Okay, so I'm going to move along. We have a really fun episode today. It's a super blushy episode. It's sexy. It's exciting. I have on Kiana Reeves that is not Keanu Reeves, the actor, but Keanu Reeves, a somatic intimacy coach, a doula, the chief brand officer for Foria Wellness. Um, I actually have a really fun story about Foria Wellness that you'll hear unfold during the interview. So back in what was it, like 2014 or so, I smoked a good amount of pot. And I remember reading about this THC, not CBD, THC lube that was being sold in California at the dispensaries and only there. And I was obsessed with trying to get my hands on it. Unfortunately, I didn't get to California that year. I do remember going to Colorado on a trip where they also had legal cannabis and going to the dispensaries and looking for it, but they didn't carry it. They only had it in California, which you'll find out why. Anyway, I didn't even remember what the brand was called. I just remember this so vividly. It's also funny because I wasn't even having sex at the time. I was just fascinated to try it. So fast forward a month or so ago, I come across Kiana. I'm really interested in Foria, and they actually just do CBD products now, not THC. And you'll hear more about why that is during the interview. And so I scheduled this interview with her, we're chatting, and all of a sudden it clicked with me that this is the same brand that made that THC lube that I was so obsessed with getting at the time, and now I get to interview her for the podcast. So I just love moments like this. It's a really fun conversation. We talk a lot about sexuality, about cannabis, about being a mother, about childbirth. Kiana's just so well-spoken and her voice is so soothing. It's so in contrast to my shrill all the time, but it's really lovely to listen to. There's so many beautiful takeaways. Uh, 
And also after the interview, I went and found their Awaken arousal oil. And I have to say, I'm kind of obsessed. So I would really, really recommend it. But regardless, listen to the interview. There's so much to take away from it. And if you enjoy it, don't forget to leave a five-star review, share it with friends and family, all those things that you know help me so much and mean so much to me. Love you guys. Here's the interview. How are you today, Kiana? I'm good. I'm good. Had a nice slow morning. What does your morning routine look like? Wait, actually, before we get into it, I have to know, do you have an Iranian background at all? I don't, but I've heard that Kiana is a Persian name. Yeah, yeah, it's a very common Persian name. So when I saw that, I was like, wait, is she Iranian? (laughs) Yeah, it's a Persian name. It's also a word, an Inuit, and I don't know if this is the correct language, but an Inuit word. And um, Mm -hmm. it's also a Hawaiian name. And I am none of those things, but somehow ended up with this name. Yeah. Well, look at you. (laughs) Yeah. What are your parents like? Uh, we are very Caucasian for the most part, Mm -hmm. Finnish, Northern Ireland and Northern Eastern, uh, European. They, they married their names together. They basically took half of each of their names and thought they were making the name up. And it turns out my name is Kiana Reeves and it was, you know, right before he was in his first movie. And so I just... I was going to ask if that's your actual last name or if you were just being funny, but okay. That is my last name. Mm -hmm. A lifelong. Nicely done. (laughs) Yeah, a lifelong experience in the classroom for sure. Yeah, I can imagine. At least yours was like, oh, look, her name is cool and sounds like this famous actor. Whereas mine, people are like, what is this random string of letters that are put together? <laughs> oh, man. Isn't that so funny? Always having to correct people. Yeah, it's the thing for me also is because my last name starts with an A. Mm-hmm. I was always at the first of the attendance list. And I could just see like the teachers would pick up the list the first day of class and stare at it and get really (laughs) uncomfortable and be like, it's me. It's me. (laughs) How do you say your name, your full name? Um, Hiva Alorabandian. So beautiful. Oh, thank you. I I bet no one ever pronounced it that well in school. (laughs) No. I mean, also, I was born in Germany and in Germany, W's are pronounced like V's. Mm -hmm. So... When I moved to the U.S., people had such a difficult time with it that I eventually was like, fuck it. It's just like they'd be like Hewa and I'd be like, fine. Just and it lasted for the longest time until really I came out with a podcast and I was like, I'm not going to say my own name wrong on my own podcast. That's ridiculous. And then I got so many texts from my friends being like, have I said your name wrong for the past 10 years? I'm like, yeah, awkward. That's amazing. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. What a good story. It's really just embarrassing. No, it's actually good. I love the the name correction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now I'm better about it. Now I do correct people, but it's almost more confusing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, like People will never know what it's like to have a difficult or foreign specifically name. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. So can you tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah. Uh, I'm a mom which has fueled so much of my inquiry. 
Um, mm-hmm. My background originated in college with a real curiosity uh, around pagan witchcraft, feminisms, uh, mm-hmm. sociology, and I created an, a major that focused on all of those things. It was called um, Women's Spirituality and Agriculture. And I had no idea what I was going to do with that degree. <laughs> Turns out I'm doing it, which is awesome. Um, and then I I trained and studied as a doula and I've been in the field of birth work for over a decade. During that time, became a mother, a single mother. And mm-hmm. because of that and, you know, the identity of mother and also the identity of a single woman, um, I got very, very interested in the identity and like being able to explore sexual identity as a parent. And so mm-hmm. stepped into the field um, with a few amazing teachers, Kimberly Johnson. I studied with Ellen Heed, Deeds Juven, um, studied sexological body work, which is a form of hands-on um, exploration, somatic exploration of pleasure and understanding mm-hmm. of the anatomy of the body and their nervous system. And then also studied with Kim uh, intravaginal pelvic work and Ellen, mm-hmm. her teacher, and doing scar tissue remediation um, and, and working with the nervous system really in a deep way. And from there, I really stepped into the world of intimacy and relating and have been studying with my teacher, John Wineland for the last few years. So it's a big kind of breadth, but I kind of think my world is whittled down to, uh, sex, intimacy, birth, motherhood, and spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's so beautiful. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about somatic sex therapy? We've had on a somatic therapist on the podcast. She does not really specialize in that area. So I'm just very curious as to how that works. Yeah. So the word soma is really um, speaking to the body mind, the interconnectedness, actually not even the interconnectedness. It's the lack of separateness between the body and mind. So and understanding that it's one, it's the same system. And we have our, you know, our conscious mind. The body is really the place that our subconscious lives. And so the idea of working with the soma or somatic therapies, different uh, modalities, is using the body as a tool to understand and integrate deeply emotional experiences that we're holding in ways that we may not even know. So it's the, the body is the access point to really this. Um, therapeutic type of integration and specifically the sex part, which I didn't answer. Um, Mm. I think there's, there's a lot of places you can go with it, but sex is a very, very, very embodied experience, or at least it should be. Mm -hmm. It is so primal. Uh, It brings us really into our, the, the biggest access that we have to so much range of pleasure and sensation connection capacity for intimacy and so somatic uh, body work somatic sexology is really about using the body to understand where you are kinked where you're tight where you're holding patterns in your sexual experiences and also to expand on your range and capacity to have more connection and to have more pleasure Mm -hmm. yeah Do you still work with clients or not anymore? I haven't since I have been so full on with Foria the last two years. I did have a Mm -hmm. private practice until about two years ago. 
Um, and I'm about to re-enter into that, but with more with coaching, like doing long-term six-month arc programs mm-hmm. with people one-on-one. And I'm really excited about that. I think that's going to be really profound work. Absolutely. I think it's something that is so needed in this world. And it's not, I mean, you know, in 2022, I would say we've come a long way in terms of being able to talk about these things and being a lot more conscious about sexuality, but we have so far to go. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting, the range, right? Like there's a lot of people in my community that are so comfortable with these topics that I forget that we're the exception and not Mm -hmm. the general place where everyone lives. And then entering new communities, people are like, I've never looked at my vulva before. I don't even know about, you know, I'm like, don't even talk about masturbation. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's really shocking what an array of different relationships we have with our sexuality in that way. Absolutely. Did you work as a doula before starting the somatic sex work? I did. Yeah. For about 10 years. Oh, how beautiful. Yeah. What are some lessons or messages you received or just any big takeaways from your experience as a doula? Mm. Um, I'm still an active doula with my friends, Mm -hmm. which is really fun. It's really, I don't, I don't do it to get paid. I do it to be there to support this transformational time in their lives. And, you know, the, the space to me that a doula holds is this like liminal door holder. Um, it's the doorway between worlds. You're quite literally in those moments being a a portal for life to come through you. And it's, Mm -hmm. it can be so joyful, but most of the time it's completely overwhelming. Uh, It overwhelms your senses. It overwhelms your availability to like, feel like you can be in your body a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. And um, it can be terrifying because the intensity of it especially if you're a first time parent or a first time person giving birth, it was like, for me, the first time it was like going up, 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 up on a roller coaster. And my midwives kept saying, you know, you're only at four centimeters. And I was shocked that the sensation could get more intense. Like I couldn't imagine being able to handle more. And that is the journey of birth for a lot of people is being able to open with so much intensity being experienced Mm -hmm. physically. And um, that, I think that journey alone is such a rite of passage for a birthing person, for a new mother. Mm -hmm. And being in the room with, you know, many women who have had that experience, my biggest takeaway is that this is a rite of passage and it's not something to be escaped from. It's not something to just, you know, endure or take lightly or try to make it easy. It's, it's actually like you'll feel yourself more fully if you can be there as much as possible for it. And it will give you, I keep saying the word capacity, but Apparently it's thematic today, but it give you more capacity as a parent. It really sets mm-hmm. this like a foundational stage for what you're able to endure in the challenging moments of, of parenthood. How beautiful. I want to ask this question, but I 
just want to preface it for everyone listening and for you that I don't mean it in any kind of shaming way. No matter what anyone decides, it's none of my business. And frankly, I know nothing. So <laughs> please like, ignore me. Um, I'm just curious. Are you a proponent of not taking uh, like the pain medication for mm-hmm. childbirth so that you can feel everything? Well, I did that. I don't think it's for everyone. I really support mm-hmm. people's choices and what's going to work for their bodies. Um, mm-hmm. I've had so many clients and friends really want that. It's typically referred to as a quote unquote natural birth, but all births are natural and really mm-hmm. like using the word an unmedicated birth, I think is, is frames it up much nicer. The journey itself to being able to have choice in your birth is what's most important. So whether you are fully gung-ho and you're like, yes, give me the Pitocin and the epidural Mm -hmm. and like, I want it this way, that's awesome. As long as you are the one who's fully in charge and have the autonomy to make a decision that feels right for you. Um, That said, I do love the aspect of an unmedicated birth that doesn't make it easier. And there's, there is something to, there's a quality there um, that doesn't make it better or the right way, but it does make it a significantly more, uh, I don't want to say challenging, but it just, yeah, I, I think there's something that is, allows you a little bit more freedom in your body, freedom in movement. Um, freedom in the space you choose to birth in, but mm-hmm. in the unmedicated birth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One last thing I want to ask in this general realm before we move on as a mother and as someone who is so progressive and open and, you know, conscious and connected in this area, how do you? do you talk to your kids about sex? I don't know how old they are, but how do you, I just, as I'm getting older, I'm starting to consider the idea of having kids. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And one of the things I think about sometimes is how to broach the subject because I'd love for them to learn about it from me. Like I learned about it from friends and I don't think it was the best way. And I certainly don't want them to learn about it from porn or something like Mm -hmm. that. You know, I'd like to be able to control it. So do you have any suggestions? Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, the first thing that kids learn about, about sex is through their own bodies, Mm -hmm. through touching themselves. Um, And that's one of the places where sexual shame comes from a lot later in life. And we often don't remember it. Sometimes it's even pre-verbal memories. So it's really uh, taken root by the time we're fully conscious and aware of our bodies about, you know, we don't touch ourselves there or that part of our body's dirty. And that later on leads to very big challenges and being able to have someone else experience your body in an intimate way or mm-hmm. you in their body. And so the first place I start with my kids is general encouragement. If they're touching themselves to just, you know, take note and be like, oh, I see you're touching yourself that much. That must feel good. Or Mm -hmm. not even saying anything, just allowing it to be because it's just an exploration of the body. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, there are times when, and there have been times uh, 
as they've gotten older, where that becomes less appropriate in public settings or around people. So framing it up like, you know, I know that feels really good. It's such an important part of our bodies. Um, it's, it's probably nice for you to do that in a private place so you can really have time you want. That's one place. The second is talking to kids about sex. And I think there's so many different ranges of what kids are interested in. I know a lot of kids who are really young who want the information, Mm -hmm. who are asking the questions. And I've kind of let it be very led by my two, I have two sons and, um, they're completely uninterested. (laughs) Like, Mm-hmm. I've said to them before when they've kind of used slang words, I, I've been like, you know, do you know what that means? Do you know what sex is? And they're like, no. And I was like, okay, well, do you want to talk about it ever? No. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Well, I'm here to talk about it when you want to. No force, no pressure. Um, of course, they overhear me at work all the time talking about this stuff. So <laughs> It's just, you know, I think as the time ripens for them, they'll have more curiosity, but I'm just honoring where they're at, <laughs> not yeah. wanting to talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. I, my audience has heard the story so many times, they're just <laughs> going to like throw their phones out the window to hear it again, but I'm just going to tell you anyway. So I started masturbating very, very young, like as a child by accident. Mm-hmm. I um, was playing with imaginary friends and I was pretending I was riding a horse mm-hmm. and I was riding the bathtub ledge mm-hmm. and I guess I had an orgasm and I was like, what was that? <laughs> that was the coolest thing ever. So then I like tried to do it again and it didn't happen because I guess I had a bit of a refractory period yeah. and then I would just do it all the time. Yeah. And I never did it in front of my parents because I just, I knew enough to know that I shouldn't do it in front of other people, even though I had no idea what I was doing. Mm -hmm. But I do, I mean, I have so much subconscious shame and stigma around sexuality. And I I would say I've worked through a lot of it through therapy and a million different types of therapy (laughs) and yada, yada. (laughs) But it's still there in the background. Yes. That's such a cool story that you have that memory. A lot of people don't yeah. remember the first time or the first few times. Oh, it's it's probably the <laughs> highlight of my childhood. <laughs> so amazing. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Okay. I want to switch gears to Foria. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the company? Yeah. we. So I joined Foria about four and a half, almost five years ago now. And... At the time, I think we had about five people on the team and two or three products out. And mm. our, our founder is a genius. He's a very interesting kind of like creative inventor man. Mm. And um, his name's Matthew Gerson. And he kind of had the, not even kind of, I keep saying that. It's been, it was a long night last night. Um, <laughs> he had this genius idea to infuse cannabis into an oil for Mm -hmm. arousal and pleasure purposes and it took off and it worked so well and people were experiencing pleasure like they've never experienced before and Mm -hmm. uh, he knew he was onto something and people started using that for period relief and 
all of these different things. And cannabis on the genitals at that time in recent history hadn't really been explored yet. And we were the first to kind of put it back on the map. Historically, Mm. it's been used quite a bit uh, around Mm. the world. From there, we grew and all of our products and our entire line that we've developed around sexual pleasure was based off of our customers' feedback around their needs, what was working Mm. for them, how it was working for them. Mm. And we've really created a line of sexual wellness products that were that are geared towards women and people with vulvas mm-hmm. um, and geared towards sexual pleasure. And they're really incredible. We have now not, we don't have THC products anymore. We have a portfolio of CBD products. So you used to have THC products. We did. Yeah. That was our original formula. Okay. I was this company around in 2014, 2015. Yes. Yeah. Okay, I remember hearing about this, mm-hmm. and at the time, I was a big pothead, and I was like, I have to have this yeah. loop. Mm-hmm. I also was in the midst of a seven-year unintentional celibacy, so oh, I don't really... <laughs> I was like, I'm just going to use it on my own. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I remember it because it was this revolutionary thing. Like, everyone was yeah. talking about it in kind of the cannabis circle. Yes, even, so. exactly. Yeah, that's so interesting. Wow, what a full circle moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, did you stop working with THC because of regulatory legal issues? Or? It's very hard to scale a THC business with this, the quality of ingredients we're committed to. We're committed mm-hmm. to always organic, always sustainable practices. Mm-hmm. And the regulations right now, state to state, you can't ship across state lines. You have to be mm-hmm. totally vertically integrated in each state. So grown, manufactured, mm-hmm. produced state by state and to find, you know, that many partners and then to educate the people in the States at the stores. It just, it was very hard for us as a small business to actually scale that part of our company. Of course. Yeah. Um, Should federal regulations change? Do you think you would go back to incorporating THC and or potentially other cannabinoids? I hope so, yeah. I think it's definitely something we're open to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just curious, how exactly is cannabis helpful for sex and pelvic care? There's, it's interesting because there's not tons of, you know, double-blind peer-reviewed studies on, there's actually none on the use of cannabis on the genitals. There's mm-hmm. a lot on the impacts of different cannabinoids working as vasodilators, working mm-hmm. um, to quell inflammation, working to relax tense muscles. And mm-hmm. so essentially what you're doing is you're working particularly for someone with a vulva and a vagina. You're working with a mucosal membrane that is very, very, very absorbent and mm-hmm. a, a network of nerve endings um, and a network of of tissue that are all built to be filled with blood. And the mm-hmm. arousal process, which is what predicates sexual pleasure, the more aroused you are, the more sexual pleasure you can experience, the more likely you are to reach orgasm. And mm-hmm. so the idea of using different cannabinoids and different plants on your genitals in that way, especially on highly absorbent genitals, um, is that it supports those processes, the arousal process with, you know, the 
vasodilation, with the muscle relaxing, with the um, quelling of inflammation. And it helps access pleasure. And it also, what we're hearing is it really enhances like comfort sexual t- sexually too. Mm-hmm. And that's a big deal for, you know, 75% of people with vulvas experience intermittently painful sex. It's really common. Mm-hmm. We can't talk to it. We can't speak to it like our products help you do this. Um, mm-hmm. But it is, the, it is the feedback that we get. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Uh, my brother has a queen beauty manufacturing facility, so I know all about like regulations. You know, yeah. 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 Certain things you just can't say. Yeah, exactly. And it's unfortunate because they're powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I noticed that I want to say one of your products has kava in it. Mm -hmm. How did that come about? I love kava. Mm -hmm. So we worked with, with our product Awaken, we worked with a formulator. Her name is Marisha Murnowska, and she's a master herbalist. She's been an herbalist Mm -hmm. for decades. And she already had a formula that she had been Mm -hmm. using that was the kava, cacao, mint, ginger, cardamom, vanilla, um, and the MCT coconut oil. And we infused it with CBD and we worked with her to bring that to life. Um, the kava in there does a couple things. So kava, of course, is incredible for the nervous system. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a euphoric herb. It helps people relax in these ways and um, produces this full kind of nervous system relaxation and we can't prove for a fact that that's what's happening transvaginally but there is this quality of a gentle um, tingle kava is also mm-hmm. a, a well-known analgesic mm-hmm. so it does help relieve pain mm-hmm. um, it it's a an aphrodisiac in the way that it, it stimulates sensation and mm-hmm. That is the primary reason it's in the formula. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's your favorite product? I like all of them. Yeah, one. yeah. I like all of them. You know, I love Awaken. I use Awaken really regularly. Mm-hmm. I love our wellness tonic. I That one to me is like once you get your hands on that, it's your lifeline every day for stress mm-hmm. and sleep. Um, is that you – you drink it. Yeah. It's yeah, part yeah, of our okay. wellness line. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then our, I think our best kept secret as a product, which I'm excited for this year, we're going to be doing a lot more storytelling around is our um, intimacy suppositories. And that's, mm. they're really designed for internal pleasure and mm. penetrative pleasure. And they can be used vaginally mm. or rectally and it's just exciting because no one's really ever made suppositories for sexual pleasure before. Mm-hmm. And um, they're powerful. Yeah. You don't even really see a whole lot of suppositories for the vagina. Mm-mm. I remember for a while I had, um, I don't know if it was psychosomatic or what it was, but I kind of had like vaginal itch all the time. Mm-hmm. And I kept going to the doctor, getting all sorts of tests, like, you know, yeast infection seemed like low-hanging fruit, and that was never it. Um, And I ended up making suppositories for myself Mm -hmm. in the freezer. Like, I'd melt 
coconut oil mm-hmm. and then just kind of put it in a suppository shape and freeze it because no one was making anything yeah. like that. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool that you did that. And it helped, huh? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, I'm curious. So I know MCT oil or just coconut oil has a lot of benefits for that area. It's like antifungal, antibacterial, mm-hmm. things like that. Is the cocoa butter in the suppository similar? Does it have any sort of benefits or is it just lubrication? It's lubrication and moisture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have a quick question. Is CBD breastfeeding and or pregnancy safe? Right. That's the golden question. Uh, There has been no research. There's been not enough research to support it. Um, I know many women personally, many mothers personally who feel very very comfortable using cannabis and CBD. And Mm. I know a lot of people who wouldn't touch it until they're Mm. completely done breastfeeding. Um, Studies are out really on the impact. So Mm. we don't know for sure. And I think that is always what the leads people to err on the side of safety and leave a big question mark. It's a hard population Mm. to study on too. You can't really, you can't, (laughs) you know, you don't want to like mess with a mom or an infant. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder how we know about any other plants being, you know, I mean, I just know a tiny bit about herbs and I know there are some that were like, oh yeah, no, like oat straw is totally fine if you're pregnant. (laughs) Like, how do we know that now that I think about it? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good good question. Probably the historical use case of it. And then- you know, it's the same maybe with fetal alcohol syndrome too, is people who are already using these substances, self-reporting and then developing it into something larger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, since you mentioned history, I just want to touch on this. So we do know that our ancestors had a pretty heavy cannabis use, right? I mean, I think there's evidence that humans have actually evolved with cannabis. Mm-hmm. And um, there are certainly points in history, I don't know, I know so little about history, I don't know why I'm acting like I do, but my understanding (laughs) is, and please correct me if I'm wrong, (laughs) that there are points in history where we are a lot more open sexually. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would, I mean, there are not just history, cultures you know, the, mm-hmm. the way that people have explored the thing to me, like the intersection of cannabis and sex is that they're both very taboo and they've been taboo for at least the last few hundred years. Um, mm-hmm. Female pleasure, another one. So the, the intersection mm-hmm. of these conversations is really when and why. And the why to me is because they allow for more access, deeper states of consciousness a general state of relating with the nature of reality in a way that kind of opens our eyes and our hearts more. And that is powerful. It Mm -hmm. gives people power. And historically, anything that's given people too much power has been very much discouraged. And Mm -hmm. so you look at something like um, an, an orgasm for a female bodied person what happens mm-hmm. for us when we orgasm versus what happens to a person with a penis is very different. Mm-hmm. We get 
an increasing level of dopamine and an increasing level of oxytocin and an increasing level of all of these incredible neurochemicals every time we climax and we just mm-hmm. get bathed in them. And they're the, they're the neurochemicals that make us feel uh, belonging, connected, powerful, creative. Mm-hmm. And so just in and of itself, looking at sexuality from that perspective, when you're allowed to experience the vastness and the truth of what your body is capable of, it's a doorway to open, what else am I capable of? What else mm-hmm. am I vastly able to do? And this might be a little controversial, but it, I don't think it is, is that we live in a very strange time. Capitalism is a very strange system where everyone's required to be part of a workforce um, and to sell their time for money. And that's, mm-hmm. it is something that would take hours to break apart, but fundamentally that is what we're required to do to survive. Mm-hmm. And within that context there, to be it, it requires some level of sleepwalking, I believe. And so you take things like psychedelics, you take things like cannabis, you take things like sex, you take state-altering uh, substances or experiences, and you suddenly have a society with access to those that maybe don't want to sleepwalk anymore, maybe don't want to mm. participate in society in the way that we've been told we have to. And I mean, is this an intentional thing? I don't know. We were born into this. We've inherited a very strange time, but I do think that's, that's part of the reason why. And, um, I think I strayed far from your original question, but yes, there are many societies that have very, very, very rich sexual traditions, um, Mm -hmm. as part of their spiritual traditions. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you get into the intersection of sex and spirituality at all? Like things like sex magic or Mm -hmm. anything like that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Tantra. I mean, there's, Mm -hmm. there is, I think that sex is the equivalent of touching life force. It is the equivalent of the closest we come to touching creation itself especially when it's with another person, even when it's with ourselves, um, it's from which all life is born, right? Like everything Mm -hmm. on the planet is mating. Everything on the planet is having sex with each other to, to make more life happen. And Mm -hmm. so in its essence, to me, sex is one of the most spiritually significant practices of our life because it's Mm -hmm. a practice of not just relating with ourselves in a practice of intimacy and relating with another, but it's, it's a practice of relating with the whole of life and the possibility and the potential for creation. Even if it's not just creation of a child, it's creation Mm -hmm. of of a, something that didn't exist before. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I approach it with a lot of reverence for that reason, because it is very powerful. And it's interesting to me, the dialogue around sex, what we've, what we've had to do, and it's a natural it's a natural cultural response to sexual repression is the kind of the freedom and the encouragement to do whatever you want with whoever you want, whenever you want, however you want. And Mm -hmm. I love that level of freedom. It's kind of like busting the, the walls off to see then what's left behind. 
Mm-hmm. And, and I, I really believe the next wave of these conversations around sex, sexual wellness, sex education is exploring the emotional, the psychological, and the spiritual impact of sexual experiences, how we can Mm -hmm. experience them more deeply, how Mm -hmm. we can open to them more deeply, what we need, what kind of safety, all of those things allow for just, uh, allow for it to be the transformative experience that we, it is made to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was really beautifully said. Do you have any tips for someone who might be listening who you know this is a pretty new conversation Mm -hmm. for and who is like oh this is so interesting how can I maybe start to see sexuality as more of the spiritual thing or maybe just uh, you know dabble a little with tantra or something like that do you Mm -hmm. have any resources tips practices, exercises, anything? Yeah. I would say start with your own relationship to your body. You're only really going to be able to have the level of connection with another person or yourself Mm -hmm. that you're able to have with yourself on a day-to-day basis. And Mm -hmm. so much of what holds us back in intimacy, um, in particular sexual intimacy, is fear of being rejected, fear of losing love, as my teacher John Wineland always says, um, Mm. and shame with our bodies. And so Mm. you really have to dig in and and be with what's there before Mm. you can kind of, uh, you certainly, I mean, the practice of Tantra itself is a practice of being with what is. Um, Mm. So, but not aiming, I think, for too heady of a spiritual space, really aiming for like the, like the spirit lives in our bodies. This, the sexual experience lives in our bodies and it's from there that we're able to, that's the vehicle. So even something like, uh, this is for any, any person with any genitals, but I think powerful in particular for somebody with a vulva to sit and look at your vulva in the mirror Mm -hmm. and to, see what your labia looks like to look at what your clitoris looks like look at what your the opening to your vagina looks like find your urethra and not just look at it but also be a witness for what arises emotionally in that experience because quite likely you'll have a voice in there that's judging or saying something to you about how it looks or Mm -hmm. um a memory of a sexual experience that maybe didn't sit so well with you and Mm. the process of being able to integrate those feelings and not just keep them in the subconscious is being able to go, this is a, it's felt fully. Like it's an emotion that comes up. I can feel it fully and it is not truth to be able to hold both experiences. And the part of you Mm. that is the witness is the part of you that's allowing that integration to happen so that it it isn't your truth and it doesn't hold you back from the type of connection and pleasure you want to experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely going to do that. I, I mean, I don't know any vulva owner who isn't at least a little bit critical yeah. of how they look. Yeah. And labiaplasty is a great example of this. It's one of the fastest 
trending uh, plastic surgeries in the United States. And yeah. people are, you know, looking at porn going like, oh, why is mine a different mm-hmm. color? Why are my labias so much larger than these people's? Mm-hmm. And um, that type of comparison will, abs- I mean, anytime you're in your head, anytime you're experiencing shame of your body in a sexual experience, you are not in your body. You are in your prefrontal cortex judging yourself. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we all do it. And that's not what's going to allow you to really relax into the the power of that moment. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I remember as a little kid uh, sneaking into my older brother's room when he was out and looking through his Playboys and I was like, mine doesn't look like that. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. <laughs> so, I mean, even as a little kid and I can only imagine how much worse it is for kids now yeah. growing up with such easy access to porn all the time. Yeah, absolutely. And then bodies in general, like, oh, my breasts, yeah. my breasts don't look like that. That is something that for me, I've been with my whole life. I have much smaller breasts than um, I thought I was supposed to have as a teenager. Like I could not wait mm. to get boobs. I was watching, I would be walking around my yard with like stuff stuffed into my shirt. And I was like, I can't wait for, for these to be bigger. <laughs> and, you know, and the like karma of my life is I have these very beautiful, like handful size breasts. And, um, and I had to work through it as a teen, Mm -hmm. because as a teen, you know, I got called flat a lot. Um, Mm. and it made me feel so ashamed and it's still, Mm -hmm. it is still something for me where I sometimes catch a feeling about it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had the opposite. I developed really young Mm -hmm. and I'd get so many comments on it and I hated it so much. (laughs) And so then I had a, like, pretty bad eating disorder for pretty much all of my 20s. Mm. And I would say over 50% of it was wanting to have a more boyish figure. Like when I would be at the lows of my eating disorder, I'd be so proud of how small my boobs were. Right. Right. Like I just didn't want to be sexualized. Yeah, exactly. Because they're so sexualized. And they're absolutely the, the, the breasts are this externally morphing part of the body that people watch, Mm -hmm. you know, especially Mm -hmm. as a developing young person, when your body changes, it's really noticeable when your breasts Mm -hmm. come in or when they don't come in. Mm -hmm. And there is so much social, um, like the quality of your body is based on what happens in puberty, mm-hmm. especially I remember that in seventh, eighth grade being the case mm-hmm. and how much people talk about it. You know, oh, did you see Kim's boobs? Yeah. They doubled overnight over summer. And it's just, be, it becomes like part of your, such a deep part of your awareness around how your body is perceived by others. Definitely. And then even carrying on into adulthood. I mean, I remember a few years ago, I was having a conversation with some girlfriends about how I never wear bras because I just I just don't ethically agree with it. <laughs> and not to, you know, yeah, yeah. and do whatever they want. I, I just it. am not into that. <laughs> and one of my friends said, well, if my breasts stayed upright like yours do, then I wouldn't either, but I need it. And I was like, 
no, babe, like, A, if you want to wear a bra, wear a bra. Like, that's not, that's neither here nor there. But there is no, like, shape that your breasts are supposed to have that you now feel the need to wear a bra to conform to some societal expectation of what breasts are supposed to look like. Exactly. Yeah. And it's shape, it's size, it's the color mm. of the nipples, it's the size of the nipples. The size of the nipples. Do you get I once breast remember, hair, nipple hair? Yeah. 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 I, I remember in high school, a boy, I'm not even going to repeat what he said just because I don't want to fuck with other people's yeah. heads the way it fucked with mine. Yeah. But he just made a comparison. He was like, oh, are your like areolas bigger than this or not? And I remember like checking and I was like, oh, thank God. They're like just that amount. Like, I think <laughs> it would have been a problem. <laughs> Isn't that insane? That is it's insane. so wild. Yeah. Meanwhile, no one really talks about what men look like. Well, it, and it's, it's much less um, in your – the changes, especially at that age, are must, much less present in the at least sexual – sexualized parts of the body you're not you're not seeing how someone's penis is growing basically yeah they might get an erection in class but you know other than that it's like it's not as obvious they get taller voice changes but yeah I mean bless everyone that goes through puberty that's we do not initiate our young people in the right way into that phase of their life no, not at all. <laughs> Thrown to the shorts. <laughs> have fun. Oh, and if not you have sex, definitely yeah. just do it blindly based on the porn and the alcohol you're drinking. Yeah. It's like, Lord, help everyone. <laughs> uh, we just end up doing that all through our 20s and uh, hoping to have successful sexual relationships based on that. It's amazing there's yeah. so many humans on the planet. Yeah. yeah it is switching gears a little do you ever experience any like shame or stigma not like that you feel shameful but people judging you because you work in both the cannabis industry and sex Mm. I I think I've felt that when I post on social media and I know that my grandparents and or mm-hmm. you know distant relatives might have seen something mm-hmm. but i live in california I live in la it's mm-hmm. a very it, maybe if i lived in a different town in a different place I, yeah. I would be but i don't bump up against that too much more often what i bump up against and it's a great kind of bumping it's not a bad kind of bumping is people messaging me and being like oh my god like I don't know anyone else who is talking about this <laughs> like what do I do mm-hmm. and I love that I love being a resource or at least a conversation starter for people mm-hmm. well that leads perfectly to my last question so one of my focuses with this podcast is to normalize conversations around female pleasure mm-hmm. What do you think we can do to propel that forward? Mm. Mm. It's a great question. I, off the top of my head, you know, 
the conversations are a part of this, right? Like the conversations are the doorway to normalizing. Mm-hmm. I think the second piece of that is pleasure is an experience that is felt in the body. It is not a conversation. It is an experience that can only happen when there is a release of tension and holding and Mm -hmm. an ability to really be fully present with sensation and with Mm -hmm. your body in a way. So a lot of the work that I've been focused on lately that I think is, has a profound impact on what we're able to experience emotionally across the board, including pleasure and including pleasure along, you know, like pleasure is amazing because it doesn't exist independently. It can exist Mm -hmm. alongside joy. It can exist alongside grief. It can exist alongside anger and rage. Like you can find pleasure in this full range of emotions. Um, So the world of embodiment, the world that really helps people work with the body mind, work with the soma to get out of the like the thinking about pleasure and get Mm -hmm. into the ability, the capacity to experience it. That to me is the work that is so ripe for this moment. Mm -hmm. And, um, anyone in that field, you know, like breath work, embodiment work, somatic experiencing, Mm -hmm. um, dancing, vocalizing, anything like sound, sound breath movement are the three things that start to stir the pot there. So I think those those fields are really important and still in their emerging mm-hmm. in their emerging uh in our understanding of their impact. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Uh thank you so much for taking the time. This was such a nice conversation. Yeah. Uh where can everyone find you? Um I am behind the scenes at Foria, so I'm the chief brand officer there, and you can find us in all of our conversations on our Instagram at Foria Wellness. It's F-O-R-I-A. And then my personal storytelling and um, private world and and coaching is all on Instagram at Kiana.Reeves, K-I-A-N-A dot Reeves. Okay. And we'll put those links in the show notes. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. It's a really delightful conversation. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with someone who you think would benefit from it. Rate, review, subscribe, look up for you, order stuff. I'm about to go order stuff, do all the things. See you next week. Love you guys. Bye.